0: Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Ian Kaye with me. And we're going to talk today about presentations and how to be confident in that area and make a good presentation. So welcome to the show, Ian.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here.
0: So, Ian, can you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and what's what's your background and how did you come to be an expert in the areas of confidence and presenting?
1: Uh, Yeah, thank you for the question. It'd be a pleasure. Um, So probably like many of your listeners, uh, I originally trained as an accountant with one of the big four. We just discussed PwC. I'm old enough that it was... It, it became PWC, but when I joined, it was Coopers and Lybrand.
0: Ah, well, fun enough, when I joined, it was Coopers and Lybrand as well. And uh, in that period, when I'd sort of passed all the recruitment process and was waiting to turn up on the uh, induction event, I got the letter through the door that said, oh, by the way, we're merging with PW.
1: <laughs> Amazing. So did you, were you ever in Embankment Place? Yes. Yes. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe we should recognise each other. Yeah. Not that it's a small office. Um <laughs> Uh, so I trained there. I worked in industry for five years um, at one particular company, American Bureau of Shipping. And the last two years of that, I was regional accountant for Northern Europe based out in Hamburg. Um, and then I came back actually to do a full-time MBA. Hmm. And uh, that was at a place called Cranfield School of Management, uh, which was a one-year full-time MBA. And then subsequently I've, I've added into that roles like that w- w- because they were um, like traditional business as usual stuff, controllership, finance manager, um, regional controller with regards to being out in Germany. And then actually uh, directly after my MBA, I, I was actually at GE for two and a half years, General Electric, but as a consultant. Mm. And that wasn't planned. It wasn't planned to be a consultant. I ended up with a surprise fit interview that wasn't meant to be a fit interview. And GE back then was so large, actually it was the largest company um, by market cap and if I was to do a test question for any of your listeners, and I'll give the answer, obviously, what would in 2000, around 2001, what would have been the largest company by market cap? Uh, it was around uh, $400 billion, if I remember rightly, which is probably about, a, I don't know, a quarter of where it is today, if not if not less. Um, and uh, so I had a fit interview with them and got placed, and, but that turned into project management roles. Mm-hmm. So my career subsequently has been either business-as-usual type finance roles, and if it's a smaller business, it's as the finance director, or several times I've led quite large bits of change, project management, change management, that kind of thing.
0: So I can see quite a lot of what we've done is overlapping here because I've done quite a lot of change. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that you you dropped into that role by accident, and I became a public sector consultant by accident. Now, turned up at uh, Coopers & Leibrand just before... The merger happened, and we went out on the induction of uh, fortnight. And there's a, a dinner where you you met people like your resource manager, who's responsible for allocating projects. And we're sitting over dinner chatting, and Gary was already with the usual sob story of oh, well, you might have to wait a couple of weeks before we find you a project, Kevin. We're just waiting for some things to start up. Oh, what have you been doing? And I'd just finished ten years in the chemical industry, and I'd been working around a big project on capital spares. Oh. We've got some guys out in the army doing something on capital spares. I'll have a word with them. And my next day, I got a phone call from Alan, the director, and said, Kevin, would you like to come and join the project or Christmas? Or was it Easter? I think it was Easter. And the problem was that I forgot to ask Alan which Easter. So three years oh, well, later, I was still working with the MOD as the client, and I'd very definitely, by accident, become a public sector consultant. Uh, it just the shows the you... domain
1: expertise by the sounds of it. If you were still yeah. there three years later.
0: Yeah. But it just shows these, you, you, you supposedly plan a career, but so much of it happens by simply being in a particular place at a particular
1: time. Well, and it was quite specifically uh, a sliding doors moment at GE because I was offered a couple of different roles. One of them would have taken me to Cardiff to be a controller. And it was when they thought they were going to be buying Honeywell, And it just didn't appeal. I'd been, a, you know, nine years, I've been an accountant, auditor, internal auditor, regional controller, all these kind of things, the classic corporate ladder stuff. And I thought I didn't do an MBA to do exactly the same thing, even though that is a heavier hitting role. And so I took on a project management role, but that was, that had to be as a contract with a view to, they put me on their high performance dinners. They put me through their green belt training, even as a contractor, because it was meant to go on to, Um, other, uh, you know, head towards a CFO path within uh, GE. And actually what happened was even the next, that process happened. They looked after me very nicely. I met different people. I was about to be offered a head of commercial finance role at a business in Oslo for GE. You know, they're global and enormous. Um, There was a verbal offer from the CFO. uh, And in between him issuing the letter or having the letter issued, uh, there was a head office us head office um instruction that there will be a headcount freeze and he said to me very candidly, he said Ian there's no way around this when there's a headcount freeze if it isn't in the pipeline as in literally offer made there's nothing I can do and then I said well I've just been on a contract is that interesting and again he said that is interesting because we also need help And it was another Oracle implementation. And this time I was to be the project lead before I was a functional team lead. And it just turned into subsequent contract assignments, different clients, um, sometimes project management, sometimes business as usual finance, sometimes combining, often combining the two, looking at making improvements in finance functions. Yeah. And then the other piece that what we're going to come on to talk through in more detail is that Along the way, I've always been interested in personal development elements, even just reading things like people like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits and really trying to take it on board as to the mm-hmm. wonderful messages that he put across. And I got interested in something called neuro-linguistic programming. And between about 2000, and, although I originally went on an introductory weekend around 2001 and read numerous things, it wasn't till 2014 where I started to take it quite seriously. Between 2014 and 2017, I actually attended a lot of courses and became a doubly qualified trainer. Interesting.
0: Um, uh, I must admit that's something that, that has interested me over the time, but I've never been in a position to take it to that level of depth.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating tool set, both for personal understanding yourself and understanding your environment and the people around you and, and drivers of how we show up in the world. Which is a key part of what we're going to talk about, and I, you know, I really took it seriously. There, are, there are three founders of NLP, and I trained with two of them to the to trainer level, and they're totally independent of each other. So it was, it's been a great experience. And I did other, I think, like some of your colleagues in the Grow CFO network. I've done different types of training around coaching, um, and, and 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 so that has what's I, and now I do a portfolio of sometimes advisory work. Uh, sometimes interim stuff and so, and sometimes the, the coaching and training um, around the training will be around soft skills because of the various things I've said and uh, the coaching can vary. But one of the areas is to have confidence. It's interesting because you can word it two ways and, and there's a, a more detailed answer as to the, what this means, but someone can have more confidence to present or they can move away from the fear of presenting.
0: Mm, that's and interesting.
1: It, yeah, and it can often be the latter that is perhaps more prevalent for people because they're consumed by the fear.
0: Uh, as I, as I think back to my time in ICI before becoming a consultant, I, I can remember a definite time where I had a, a a real fear of presenting, and it'd be the the one thing that I really would not want to do. Gradually overcame that more because I was part of the business team and I had to say something about the business results every month. So automatically you'd end up preparing a few slides and just talking to them. So I suppose I got over presenting as as just simply doing that. But I I do remember joining Cooper's and being one of the, the recruitment evenings and seeing a partner a senior manager just standing up and and talking for for 20 minutes apparently unscripted to some slides behind him about what was going on I think grief I could never do that and yeah, now 20 minutes 20 years yeah. on having been a consultant actually I could I can and do it all the time now
1: <laughs> yeah I think that's certainly one of the ways of um of almost getting over it I'm not a therapist I have to stress that because of what I'm about to say and but one of the elements of getting over anything I think it's called, is called exposure therapy mm. you know if you're scared of heights go and stand by the window on the 20th floor several times you'll be shaking but eventually the logic is it will be less and less threatening to you yes and if professionally you just had to and you just got on with it and maybe the first time you know you were fanning the front row with the piece of paper you were holding metaphorically at least um you know it, it may may not have been the second time you were better or the third but if it was part of your monthly or maybe even bi-monthly setup that you just had to because you were more senior uh, and maybe whatever bothered you before now bothered you less, then eventually one, I think, can can get over most things like that.
0: Yeah. What, what do you think it is that gives most people the fear of presenting?
1: Okay, so I don't know about most people, but here's Here's the little example I'll give to explain where it can come from as an example. Yeah. So this is totally invented, but probably repeated many, many thousands of times. Uh, Little Barnaby is at school and he stands up for the first time. It's his turn to read out. And instead of saying the word chief, he says chef. And when he was reading the story and, uh, Everybody laughs. The teacher wasn't particularly sophisticated in dealing with it. Little Barnaby sits down and somewhere in his unconscious, he's registered that when you stand up to speak in public, of course, as a child, you don't use those words. But when you stand up to speak in public, there's an internal process that says that is associated with an unpleasant feeling. Yeah. And Uh, and being laughed at by the rest of your class. Laughed at by the rest of your class. And, you know, 30 years later, when you're the best man at your brother's wedding... And you've got to stand up and speak uh, and you're really not sure. The truth of it is you'll never remember that without some help and guidance. Um, But there'll be somewhere, my point is that somewhere in the unconscious, there's an internal dialogue going up, going on that says, you know, this is really unpleasant. I'm, I'm not good enough. No one's ever going to find me funny. Uh, I'm not interesting enough. Uh, I can't speak clearly enough. I, whatever the phraseology somebody will have, and that comes from somewhere and we have a, you know, a, a process that we go through as humans. We process information through our five senses and how we store that information and how we recall it will be what leads to the fear. Hmm. Because you, you've got the filter called language and the language you're applying is. I'm not good enough. This is really frightening. Everyone's, you know, it's just not pleasant. Uh, and people have long since forgotten the where, how and why you have those feelings. But boy, do you know what those feelings mean? And it means avoid presenting.
0: Yes, because we've we've got that subconscious is all about uh, protecting ourselves from the things that have hurt us in the past.
1: Yeah. Even though it's you know, is it relevant anymore that at six years old your classmates laughed at you? And of course it isn't. Yeah. And of course it isn't. And so mm-hmm. that is that's a big part of how to move forwards is to understand where it came from. Um, try to reframe things this is very easy to say but you know through a coaching process understand where it came from um, reframe if at all possible what meaning you've associated with what's going on but if any, if anything almost educate yourself as to what's going on as an internal process assess whether it's relevant anymore and then begin to reframe how you think about presenting um, and and then there's the skill side of it what, what formats can you use for presenting uh, how do I build confidence just generally for holding my what you might call presenter state um, how do you engage the audience etc cetera, etc cetera? One, one side is skill and saying oh yeah you know some you know some people are just brilliant presenters right I wouldn't necessarily label myself like that so I'm probably quite a competent presenter and I can put a point across uh, but the other side of the coin is, feeling comfortable even trying to present yes or removing the fear as i said earlier
0: yeah so feeling comfortable we've we've kind of identified perhaps where it came from but you know, it's been there for so long you're not going to get confident overnight so what do you start thinking about doing
1: so you're right just to say oh yeah i remember that now um my teacher wasn't very nice to me it's about listening to the internal dialogue i'm really pulling out what is the um what what are the phrases you're telling yourself and really then starting to understand where they've come from and then we go into the timeline thing of trying to identify um this is one particular approach by the way there are others mm-hmm. to help yeah. people move forwards but the, what this one particular approach is try to identify what the internal dialogue is what is it you're telling yourself okay you know it's your turn to it. and if someone says oh, I don't know it's, okay well present to me then and now what are you telling yourself because suddenly you're put on the hot seat you don't like it uh and um there'll be some kind of dialogue of, you know I'm not good enough uh I just can't I uh, everyone's going to laugh or think I'm done or catch me out or imposter syndrome or all these possibilities whatever it is then you try and take the person on a timeline and say okay did you feel like this last week? Was it last month? And obviously the answer is yes. Was it last year? Absolutely. And then you try to take them on a timeline of, okay, where did this start? Okay, so this is the root of how you got to feeling so uncomfortable about presenting. And now let's start to look about look around how that could have changed, um, how things could have been different, what kind of resources you would need, and then trying to... Um, question, challenge, reframe, how now you've got clear on where it's come from and what it is, reframing that and giving the person the resources to be able to feel different about themselves when it comes to presenting. And then, as I say, you move into the, now let's see how you actually, now you can stand on your own two feet without, you know, churning up inside. You know, I doubt it's quite difficult to go from, you know, genuinely not going to sleep very well the night before to life and soul of the party let me stand up and present at every opportunity but you can move to a position of confidence probably quite quickly after a few coaching sessions and uh and and work on then you know different presentation formats so that and you know the first three rules of anything to get good at it practice 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 Mm, absolutely. Uh, so, you know there are some really some really practical stuff in there just mm. know your subject yes um you know that partner that stood up and seemed so confident and probably was uh, you, pro- you they were probably doing that presentation or a version of it for the hundredth time yeah uh, uh they wouldn't have allowed themselves to represent pwc or coopers and Lybrand back then without knowing their stuff they ju- they just wouldn't
0: exactly Exactly. And that, so, that's it. And I think of the majority of times of, of having to present, you'll be in there putting something across specifically about a project. You'll have thought through what you're going to say and why you need to say it a long time in advance. And you will have done a thorough preparation job.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you can even prepare. And, and then I remember I learned to swim very late. So here's a metaphor for you. I was mean, 25, you know, yeah, I was, I was on that one of those roles when I was, uh, the last two years and i was based in hamburg and i i was there from 25 to 27 and i actually um, to learn to swim i hired myself an olympian believe it or not it was in the no, i think why not or oh, indeed and and it was uh anyway i i'll skip some of the story just to say that he said to me what's you know have you ever sat on the bottom of a pool even in the shallow end i looked at him like he was mad because of course i hadn't and he said well that's the worst that can happen let's go down there Uh, And sometimes, if you think about, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, or what? If somebody asks me a question, I don't know. Okay, let's talk about that. Hmm. What a great opportunity to have an opportunity to to go back to somebody and continue the dialogue. If it's a potential client, to build your relationship. If it's a colleague, to you know, no one, very rarely in a work environment. uh, You tell me if you disagree. Does everybody? Does anybody expect a person to have every answer at their fingertips?
0: No. And I have to admit, that was one of the key lessons that I had to learn in in presenting was, okay. somebody asks you a question. You don't have to have to give them an answer straight away. We'll come back to you about that.
1: That's a brilliant uh, question. I'm sure I'm pleased you've asked it. There's going to be at least another 15 people here that wanted to ask the same thing and haven't. So well done for that. And I have to tell you, I can give an answer, but I'm not sure of it. And I only give answers when I'm sure of them. So please you know let me take your details or obviously if as a colleague you're going to have them yeah and I'm going to come back to you with a with, with a detailed answer by tomorrow at 4 pm yeah get specific yeah absolutely um, uh, so yeah the, the, that's what part of what I mean about rehearsing it's not just rehearsing that obviously you should know your subject what you're going to say what are the key points you want to pull out. Um, and I think it's nicer that way than really learning a script mm. by the way it's just you know a bullet points of what you want to um, what you want to say people might get to that point if they're totally nervous yep. and that they, they, they remove the fear and then they may even literally learn a script. I mm. think that's quite challenging in itself. Uh,
0: I, I always feel that anything where you've, you've tried to script it in any way generally doesn't work.
1: Yeah. It's, it's it is difficult. I wouldn't advise it, but if, if, if fact, for some if, reason,
0: even as we're talking today on a podcast and i do another podcast with with my friend Graham. And back in the early days, we scripted one or two of our next 100 days podcasts. And actually, they're probably the worst podcasts we ever produced. Hmm. Scripting just does not work. It's yeah, just not uh, natural. Uh, it doesn't flow.
1: Yeah. I, I, and especially, between, I guess, especially it would sound totally unnatural, the, the link between the two of you. You almost have to become professional actors. And yeah. if one person is just presenting, they could kind of remember a script but I think it's far more natural when you go you get more rapport with your audience if you're you, you might have some bullet points behind you like the partner that you witness and that would just trigger a story each bullet point would trigger a story for the person and there's there are techniques around that about just yeah. seeing a trigger and going oh yes the three points that are associated with that image are these and off I go mm. uh, and then uh, you know you'll you'll learn some structures around presenting and then very specific things around managing your own state, breathing techniques, even. uh, And it's all part of being able to stand up with confidence and get your message across.
0: Yeah. and I think I've mentioned one lesson that I learned already about how do you handle those difficult questions? But the second lesson I I remember learning is you you make a mistake. What do you do when you make a mistake? Well, my biggest learning was what most of the audience won't notice when you make a mistake. Yeah. They'll not realize that you missed uh, a whole dialogue out that you were meant to give on that slide. They didn't know that. The only place that, that dialogue was, was in your own mind. Audience won't notice that at all. So no, move on.
1: Yeah. And, and frankly, it's, again, it's very human, isn't it? If suddenly yeah. you realize, Oh, look at that. I've confused the last two slides. Let me go back. I want to make sure that um, this is clear for you all. What I meant to say is, and, you know, actually the the next three quarters, what we're aiming to do is X. Mm. I just said, and what I meant, I, I, you know, and off we go. It's just, that is, I think that's probably a, a, another level of comfort. Just yes, being so comfortable in your skin that you, it's okay to make, it really is okay to make a mistake. And, yeah, and where, we all make
0: mistakes. We're human.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: you you don't have to be perfect.
1: Yeah. So you know, in essence, it's about understanding where where is this internal dialogue coming from, and if people don't relate to the idea of internal dialogue, it's sort of saying, you know, what are the messages you're telling yourself, or what's going on for you when you go up to present, or even think about going up to present, Mm -hmm. um, and where does that come from, and analyzing how relevant it is today reframing it, finding different examples. Um, there are some fun techniques you can do about challenging the person on how relevant it is what they're saying to themselves. Because uh, laughter always helps in these scenarios I find. And um, and then having the skill to to, to, to reframe your message, I've, I've said that before, and, and to be able to put in a, a format that you're comfortable with, that you can work with, um, that will feel very natural for the audience. And take them on a take them on a journey uh, and at the end of it pending, pending on the nature of the presentation, you know the follow-up action what, what, what is it what do you want your audience to take away? How are they going to be able to reach out to you? Um, you know if you were giving a monthly update on the financials of the division you were running, well fair enough it's that people can reach out to you because they're your colleague. If you're presenting because you want to rec- you want to reference an accountancy show grow CFO, you're going to have a takeaway of some sort at the end that is come and see me at stand dot dot dot. This is the offer we've got. Whatever it is, you'll have a format yeah. of presenting that is relevant for your audience, including how they follow up with you and what takeaways they should have, you know, the conclusion. Mm. Yeah. I
0: Expanding on that, I, I remember a PwC partner that um, we, were, we were getting ready to go in and send, deliver something to a client. I not remember what it was now, but it was, okay, Kevin, Three things. What do we want them to know? How do we want them to feel? What do we want them to do? Let's address the presentation in that order. We'll start with the facts. We'll continue in into, oh, here's the implication. Oh, isn't this going to be a problem? Now, here's what we want you guys to do about it. And very, very simple structure. And it, I've, yep. I've thought back to that so many times and used it. And it really does focus the mind, making it as simple as that.
1: Yeah, and and then you can even break that down a little bit more, if you're going to, you know, to when you talk about having slides behind you, or if you're talking without slides, just in your mind. Okay, yep, yeah, I know there are three or four sections to this presentation. The fourth one is what are the takeaways. Um, the first one is what's the problem. What are my three bullet points there? And in the end, for you know what could be almost any length of presentation, you're trying to remember something like um, twelve keywords or hmm, phrases. Yeah.
0: And that's funny, you, you start talking about the, the three things there. I remember going to a presentation course that was put on by a, an organization called Rogan, um, Rogan SI. And they were very clear that you really signposted your presentation and you only talked about three things. And you told them those three things three times. Yeah. So it's hello, and uh, today we're going to talk about a rough introduction, and we're going to cover this point, this point, and this point. And then you go in and you say, oh, well, so we're going back and here's the first point in detail. And you go and maybe talk to it about five minutes and so on. You, you'd go into the second point, the third point, then you get to the end. And it's OK, so today you can see we talked about X. We talked about Y. We talked about Z. OK, now here's what we're going to do. Here's the call to action.
1: Yep, exactly that. Yeah. And, and you that- can structure it in the way that your partner originally told you. You know why is it important? How how are we going to help them? And you do it. By, well, as we're repeating ourselves, but by by three points at each point relevant. But there's the same three points. But what was the problem? Yeah. How do we solve it? How should we follow up together? And here's the takeaway. Yeah, uh, and um, you know, and you set a frame at the start, mm. uh, which would be the shortest part of the whole presentation. You know, today, mm. so glad to be here today. I'm going to. Yeah, and I, know,
0: I think key to me in in realising that one is is realising that people only actually remember three things from a presentation so don't t- try to tell them four
1: yeah it's it's uh I can't I must confess I can't remember see I'm perfectly comfortable confessing but I don't remember the logic of it. it's always three points but I, I I do remember that from various bits of training that yeah you trying to get people to you know less is more is yes is, is often uh a key thing i think it, even across the consulting piece or training it's just generally trying to encourage you you know you want to give you want to share you want to provide solutions and actually sometimes it's just too much mm. and it's worth remembering that for presentations as well you know what are the key messages you want to get across how are we going to do it what problems are we solving off we go yeah and
0: chances are as a, as a finance guy you know a lot about what's going on in an awful lot of detail you know all the numbers that are sitting behind it and you could potentially put all of those on your slides but chances are it is going to bore the pants off the rest of your business team so focus in on the what do you want them to know how do you want them to feel what do you want them to do how and or focus in on the three key things you want to tell them and lose the noise Unless, yeah.
1: Very definitely. Same for, I mean, as you say, we've got a lot in common. It's, it's even when you're managing a change project, same same logic. If you came to yes. a toll gate um, and you've got the steering committee in front of you, are we going to go forwards? Aren't we? Right, here we are. These are the key points, what you want to know. Yeah. Uh, happy days, off we go.
0: Mm. Yeah. Ian, that has been a fantastic little canter through uh, confidence in presenting and, and how to make. A good presentation. Thank you for joining me on the Grow CFO show.
1: A uh, great pleasure. Thanks again for the invitation.